0: R forward as you possibly can John wants to see all your pretty faces and we've got wonderful seats up here in the front right Uh, I think we'll go ahead and get started, uh, because we've got some singing and things to do like that first. But before we do, I want to go to uh, the Lord's Word, and I'm going to be reading from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. One of the things that we're doing here this week is we're learning how to do those things through prayer, through the Scripture. And so, once again, let's open in prayer as we welcome the Holy Spirit to lead us this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, once again pleading that precious blood that was shed upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, for the security of our eternal salvation, and for the wonderful gift of your Holy Spirit. Dear Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit this evening We ask that he would just fill this building with your presence. We ask that he would just overwhelm John as he comes and brings forth uh, the wisdom and knowledge that you have granted him, Lord, that you would speak through him as he uh, speaks to us. We pray, Lord, as we did last night, that you would just open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears, that we might glean from uh, your wisdom, that we might glean from your word, that we might have the power through your spirit to apply it to our lives, we might learn from it, that it might guide us, and that we might use it to help others and love them. And as we read in the scripture, be kind and compassionate to them and forgive them as as you have forgiven us. We thank you for this time. We ask, Lord, that as we come before you in worship with some music, that you would just allow us to worship and praise your name. God, we know that you are worthy of our praises, of our thanksgiving, of our worship, just for the fact that you are the one and only God and we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And so we give you this evening um, every word spoken, um, every word in our hearts and our minds that are not spoken, we give unto you. And we ask that you would just receive our praise, our love, our adoration during this time, and that it might be pleasing unto you as your children have gathered to learn more about who you are. And we just pray all these things in your name and all of God's children said, Amen. Amen.
1: We're going to start with singing Miriam to worship this evening.
2: Thank you for coming back tonight. Um, At least we haven't got our snowstorm that's coming on Friday yet. So they say it's coming from the Rockies. We blame Canada for everything that comes to Colorado. I think you blame everything from the Rockies that come here in weather. Over the last 19 years, I've sat in my office uh, with two couples every week. Uh, My wife and I have spend 130 weeks in the last 19 years in seminars like this and uh, in seminars we'll counsel between 20 and 60 couples in six days with a team of counselors in doing that I've learned a lot about people I've learned the kind of problems people have I've learned what people struggle with because every week in my office I sit and I ask people Um, what's happening in your marriage I have to figure out how a husband's damaging a wife how a a wife's damaging a husband and I have to understand what's happening in that relationship and I have 15 hours to fix the problem now after you do that for 19 years uh, you start understanding some kinds of problems people have now there are problems that people create not because they're sinning but because they have a personality that is strong that damages another person and I call that pressure patterns like you can be a self-disciplined person like to get a lot done um, be focused on your work and be a very successful person but you can damage a son Who's like your wife, who's impulsive and can't focus because you're trying to knock that impulsiveness out of the sun, and emotionally that can damage a son. Now, you have a handout in front of you called uh, Pressure Patterns, and I have seven pressure patterns. The first of them are not sinful. For example, a self disciplined person that has high expectations of others is not sinning. A person who's controlling or dominant is not necessarily sinning a person that likes to talk is not necessarily sinning a person that doesn't talk is not necessarily sinning and when you get to the last three uh, you have a greater problem that we would consider sin so a person's strength can emotionally damage another person a number of years ago A bank president called me and he says, John, um, my daughter's in trouble. She only eats two pieces of lettuce a day. And the doctor says her organs are dying. We spent 80000 putting her in a facility to try and make her eat, and she won't eat. We put her in a Christian facility, and um, they tried to force her to eat her shakes. She won't eat. Finally, we put her in the hospital and they forced her to eat by putting a tube down her stomach and she gained five pounds. As soon as she got home and the tube was taken out, she stopped eating. John, can you help us? I brought the father in and the mother and the daughter and I gave him a test. The father was 99 perfectionistic or 99% self-disciplined ninety-nine percent controlling ninety-nine percent hostile or angry and ninety-nine percent felt rejected if you didn't do it his way he was all four of these high expectations control angry felt rejection if someone didn't do it his way all these were ninety-nine on the test his daughter was anorexic What I've found over the last 19 years is whenever a person has those scores high, these four, and we're going to talk about the first three tonight because those are pressure patterns, what happens is a certain personality of your children, one will be anorexic, another one could become bulimic, another one is going to disassociate and uh, respond with ADHD, and another one is going to start cutting. Why do they do that? Why do young people do that if they have parents like this? Well, what happened in this particular case is I brought the father in, explained his test. His wife had emotionally checked out. She could not respond to the pressure of her husband, so she just went and got a job and tried to stay away from her husband and was totally detached from him. Pulled a switch and totally checked out from him. So the father focused on the youngest daughter. The oldest daughter was disciplined like he was. The youngest daughter was impulsive like her mother. And he tried to knock it out of her, tried to pressure her, to change her. And emotionally, this girl just died inside with that pressure. After I explained it to them, and he realized that he had damaged his wife and his daughter. I brought the daughter in and I had my daughter who was home for Christmas when she was in my office face her and I had my daughter say to her, do you ever struggle inside when your dad is a perfectionist, dominant, angry, and if you don't do it his way he feels rejected? And She made a statement, she said, I only died my father would finally be happy with me what she was saying was basically this if I was out of the way my dad would finally be happy he hates me I can't ever please him I can't do it good enough for him and emotionally she'd given up and that's why she was eating two pieces of lettuce a day now a child can't cope with this kind of pressure because if you're a perfectionist, which is expectations, your self-discipline, and you're controlling as a parent, and you're angry if they don't do it right, and you feel hurt if they don't do it right, and you go into depression if you don't do it right, what happens is that child gets so frustrated that they realize they're never going to please their daddy or mommy, and they just give up. Now, you can have a wife who has these four and totally damage a husband. Now, these are pressure patterns that we're going to talk about tonight. And I encourage people to take the pressure off. And if we go back to our Sunday morning's message where I talked about the fact pressure emotionally creates a reaction to another person. None of us like to be pressured. But love creates a dynamic where people respond. So when we love somebody, you never damage them. That's why the Bible says we need to communicate truth and love. When I sit in my office and I just care about a person, I never hurt them. But if I pressure them to change, they lock up. If I criticize them because they won't change, they lock up. But if I care about them, you can't ever hurt another person. So the best way to change another person, if you don't like what they're doing, is to emotionally connect to them, to care about them, then you can change their heart. Now let's talk about different pressure patterns and I'm going to illustrate. The first one at the top of your list is high expectations, pressure to perform, it's a self-disciplined person. And if you look at the top of the sheet that we passed out the other evening, you see the seven pressure patterns over the top. The other evening we talked about the emotional issues and we defined five out of the twelve. This evening in the second session we're going to talk about abuse issues, how they damage. We talked earlier about different of the spiritual issues. By the way, this particular sheet covers everything I deal with in my office. It basically encompasses every kind of problem people have in which they've been damaged by another person. Let's talk about the pressure patterns, high expectations. Here's a definition. A person that's a perfectionist, that's self-disciplined, likes to achieve. They apply themselves, they want to carry a task to completion. And often they expect others to accomplish the task as well. What are the characteristics of a person who is self-disciplined? Everything has to be done right. They focus their thoughts on what needs to be done. A disciplined person usually makes a list of everything that needs to be done and when they go to bed at night, they still have 20 things to do. And they get frustrated because they can't go to bed until all those 20 things are done. They often get frustrated if someone else isn't disciplined and they're not satisfied with someone else's work and often they redo it. There are two problems with high expectations. A person can be damaged because someone has placed expectations on us and we react to that or we can put expectations on ourselves. Uh, This probably affects people most when they have been damaged by someone else's expectations and then they pressure themselves. When you have two disciplined parents, mom and dad are perfectionistic often one of their children is a perfectionist so uh, severely that they constantly pressure themselves and they are not satisfied with an A, they have to get an A plus. And they get frustrated with themselves if they don't do it exactly perfect and they feel hurt and guilt, they turn pain in on themselves and they feel guilty if they don't do it. Uh, exactly right let's talk about expectations others have placed on me now you can apply this many different ways you can have a husband putting expectations on a wife or a wife on a husband you can have parents putting expectations on their children Um, can go many different ways when expectations are put on us we will either try and meet them and become driven or we will react to them and emotionally lock to the expectations of other people. Uh, For example, I had a man in my office, every time I expected him to do something, I gave him an assignment, he would disassociate because his father was a perfectionist, and he disassociated and mentally checked out every time pressure came because he was damaged as a child. The second way is we can put expectations on ourselves and if we don't achieve a certain level we feel guilty. We may get angry at ourselves because we don't achieve a certain level or we may feel rejected if we don't do an assignment well. What are some words to describe the pain of a person who has been damaged by expectations? Can't do anything right? Can't measure up? inadequate, incompetent, overwhelmed, pressured to perform, pressured, stressed. Those are some of the words that people will say they're feeling inside when they've been damaged by this pain. When a person comes into my office and they've been damaged by a perfectionist whether it's a father, mother, um, school teacher whether it's their spouse, I lead them in a prayer and here's a prayer with a father who had high expectations of his son and the son constantly felt rejected because he couldn't meet the expectations and the level of um, perfection that his father wanted Jesus my father had high expectations of me causing me to feel rejected if I didn't achieve what he expected Jesus what did that do to his heart to my heart Jesus, can you heal my pain within my heart? Can you make a safe place where I can go whenever I feel pressure of others' expectations? Can you bring peace to my heart? Jesus, can I open my heart to trust my spouse? Then there's a second prayer. And this is if you place expectations on yourself. I'm not going to read this um, because I don't want to bore you. And here are words to encourage a person that's been damaged. Let's say that you're married to a husband who is damaged by his father. Here's what you would say to him as a spouse. I don't want to ever pressure you to be frustrated again. I want to understand the pain your father and I have placed on you and care. What if I took the pressure off and cared instead of pressuring you with my expectations? What if I accepted the fact that you can't achieve everything and helped you take the pressure that you have placed on yourself? Would you help me understand the pain you feel when others pressure you and you become frustrated and feel that you will never measure up? I would love to have you feel loved and cared for rather than pressured. I'm going to say this in regard to high expectations and pressure. In in Mennonite cultures, most Mennonites, about 80% of them, are self-disciplined. That's actually a good thing. Because when you go into Amish communities or Mennonite communities, everything is perfect. You noticed when you come into this church, everything is perfect. Nothing's out of place. I mean, the carpet's perfect, the bricks are perfect, everything is in its place, just perfect. That's because the majority of people that come to this church are disciplined. Now, is that bad? No, it's actually good. But the problem is if you pressure someone else with your expectations and that damages their heart and they feel rejected because they can't achieve what you expect them to achieve, or you reject them because they can't do it good enough, or you pressure them and they disassociate, you're going to create pain for them. So you want to watch and be very careful if you're a disciplined person that you don't damage your children, you don't damage your spouse, you don't damage employees, because you can easily emotionally hurt another person. We were just in Florida and um, one of my friends in Florida is a dentist and he was sharing with me uh, he's a disciplined person gets a lot done He was sharing with me that he had a lady that always was late to work. She was always five minutes late. So he said to her, I'll give you 90 days and if you're not on time in those 90 days, I'm going to sever your work. In other words, you're going to be fired. Well, She was late during the first 90 days. So he says, okay, I'm going to give you one more 90 days. You're fired at the end of the second 90 days if you don't achieve. He came to my seminar just three weeks ago. Um, We have an in-depth training seminar where I spoke 35 hours, 7 hours a day for 5 days. and He sat and listened to me and he came up to me afterwards and he says, You know what's happening? This girl must have been damaged at home by somebody because when I expect her to be on time, she always gets late. So when I pressure her, she's late. I'm going to change that. I'm going to take the 90 days off and I'm going to care about her pain and I want to see if she's on time because I might be able to figure out her problem and solve it. I had a young man um, who was dating this girl and she was always late for the date and he was upset because he was a Mennonite guy and Mennonites are always on time most of the time. <laughs> anyway the girl had a mother who was 99, 99, 99, 99, and this girl was emotionally an anxious wreck. And her mother had pressured her to do her home school, had pressured her to get ready on time, and when she felt pressured to get her clothes on, she mentally got fuzzy and she couldn't dress. So I told the boyfriend, this is before they got married, I said, unless you take the pressure off, she'll never get ready on time. You have to care about her heart. So he looked at his girlfriend and he says, it's okay if you're late, I just want you to feel cared for by me. She wasn't late after that. You see, the problem was that pressure caused a person to mentally check out and disassociate, and that mental check out Is ADHD because the medical field has to put a title on everything and what I found in my counseling is every person diagnosed ADHD the problem is someone has pressured them and they've checked out they've lost memory and um, disassociation is God's way of taking pressure off of children so when a child is damaged by a father who's yelling and screaming and throwing a child across the room the child loses memories so they don't remember that happening that's disassociation the problem is when too much pressure comes on a person and they disassociate now they can't function as an adult so the first thing that we want to identify is high expectations Now you say is it wrong to be disciplined no it's not wrong if you're disciplined be grateful you get a lot done that's better than being an impulsive person that's changeable and you don't get anything done no you want to be disciplined the question is am I damaging someone else by pressuring them now you can't damage a person if you're self-disciplined and caring you can only damage if you're A perfectionist and you're pressuring someone with frustration that's when you're going to damage another person or you're critical. The second pressure pattern on your sheet is what I'm going to call control or dominance. A controlling person is a person who likes to rule, dictate, have his own way. What are the characteristics of a controlling person? They like to be in charge. They take control of decisions. They exert pressure to have others do it their way. They desire to dominate another person. How does one react to being controlled? If a person has been controlled in their childhood or in their past, they won't be able to stand being controlled. They block others who control them. And often they rebel and are defiant, no one's going to tell me what to do. Or they disassociate or emotionally detach every time the pressure comes. Now, it's interesting, usually opposites attract in a marriage. A submissive person who can't make decisions is attracted to a dominant person because they don't know how to make decisions, so they have to marry someone who can make decisions. So a husband who's submissive is attracted to a dominant woman. But now he gets married and he can't stand the fact that she's making decisions. So he gets angry with her. Or you can have a dominant man married to a submissive wife. Now that sounds more biblical um, because it says wives submit to your husband, so it sounds more biblical. But if you have a dominant husband who doesn't value his wife, she's going to get frustrated because he's controlling her. Now the Bible says we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in Ephesians. That passage comes just before the statement, husbands are the head of their wives, wives are to submit to their husbands. We're to submit to one another because as a husband uh, cares about, understands his wife's heart, and she understands and cares about his heart you can have a neat relationship so there's a problem whenever you have a dominant person emotionally controlling a person who's not dominant now dominance if it's combined with love can never damage if you're more concerned about caring about someone you can't ever dominate them and hurt them but if you have a dominant attitude With a critical attitude you're going to damage, or if you're dominant and unsympathetic you're going to damage someone which means you don't care about them, you just want to control. Now, when I was a pastor, um, I had a problem. I'm 30% dominant and I attracted dominant people to my church. They loved to come to my church because they could tell me what to do. So I had people fighting with other pastors that were dominant across town. And they lost the fight, so they come to our church and join our church. But the problem was, when you have two dominant people, I'm submissive, I want to please this guy, and I want to please this guy, and they're going in opposite directions, and they want me to go their direction, then I get stuck. Let me use an illustration. One day a man came to me and he says, "Uh, John, I want everybody in this church that's a man to go to Promise Keepers. I said, Jim, would you just invite the men to go to Promise Keepers? You don't have to pressure them. He says, no, every man has to go because Promise Keepers is the greatest thing since peanut butter, whatever. And he was pressuring, I, I knew a couple people in my church that didn't like Promise Keepers. And I says, don't pressure, just invite. So he gets up in front of the congregation and he says, Every man ought to be in Promise Keepers next weekend, and I want you to sign up. That week, a man came into my office. He was saved out of Roman Catholicism. And he says, Would you stand up in the pulpit next week, John, and tell everybody that Promise Keepers is of the devil? Because Promise Keepers invited Roman Catholics and he didn't believe that Roman Catholicism was teaching the gospel and he had found the gospel and he had a totally different view than Jim did. So I had Ed over here Promise Keepers is of the devil Jim says every man ought to go to Promise Keepers and I'm 30% dominant with these two dominant guys pressuring me to go their way and I'm stuck. We had a number of homeschoolers in our church and Four families that had led to Christ, had no spiritual background, their kids had never been to church, never been to Sunday school, and they said, "John, could you provide something for our children? Uh, we need a Bible study, we need a youth group, something. I just had four families in our church that went to somewhere in California, and the guy says, No one should teach your kids but the fathers. So I was sitting in a meeting. it was a board meeting and I said, four families would like for us to have a Bible study for the young people because they have no spiritual background. And these four says, if you start a youth group, we're leaving. These families over here says, if you don't give something for our young people, there are churches with youth groups in town, so we're going to go to another church. So I'm stuck in the middle, a submissive person trying to please eight dominant families who are controlling. I lost both sides now let me just say this when you have dominant people who have to control who don't come to the center what happens is you have people that frustrate now when I was a pastor um, we had an elder led church and uh, so our elders met once a month and I would have 25 things on the agenda each month and initially I would say would you like and I would give a decision and Dave who was on the board who was very dominant he would make his statement no we're not going to support any more missionaries and nobody else talked and Dave made all the decisions until finally I got frustrated and I says God what's the answer to this? so I started my board meetings different went like this the first five minutes of a board meeting I said God has brought you seven men. You're voted on by the congregation because uh, of your maturity spiritually, your commitment to Christ. And each of you have value. Each of you have wisdom. But Tim is a quiet person, never talks. But I want him to talk and share his perspective on these 25 things that we have on the agenda. Over here is uh, Jerry. And he's not assertive so he's not going to talk but Dave will talk because he's assertive and expressive the problem is all of your computers run just as fast as each other some of them just you don't communicate and I'm not interested that one of you makes the decisions I'm interested that all of you share your wisdom and then we're going to ask Jesus what direction do you want our church to go? Because if we as leadership, if us eight men are in unity with each other, and we come together and walk in unity, we're going to have a unified church. Because anybody can go their own way. I mean, you can have a husband says, I'm going to have it this way. Wife says, no, I'm going to have it this way. And you can have a division in the home. You can do the same thing in a board meeting. You see dominance Controlling another person emotionally can damage them. And I shared with my men, what if you looked across the table and says, Tim, I'm interested what you think about this building addition to the church. Let's focus on the other person, let's just not focus on what we want. Jack left the church that I pastored before I came. He and the former pastor got in a fight. They both wanted to control. Jack was controlling. I don't know about the former pastor. I never saw him in a meeting. I assume he was controlling. And Jack got mad and he left the church. So then I was invited to come to the church. And someone told me, Jack and Betty are a neat couple. They farmed out in the country seventeen miles, so I drove out one day to visit them one evening. And I fell in love with them. They were a neat Christian couple, very committed to Christ and Six months later they came back to the church I pastored and a year later Jack was on the board again, voted back on. After a board meeting Betty called my wife and said, um, Barb, what does your husband do at these board meetings? And my wife says, I've never been to a board meeting, they don't let wives go. Um, So my wife didn't know what to say and Betty said, you know it's really weird. The last pastor, Jack, would come home so mad he would just pace up and down the floor in the bedroom till two o'clock in the morning because he was so mad because he couldn't get what he wanted. He said last night Jack couldn't couldn't sleep. He was talking nonstop about how fun board meeting was. You know why he was excited? Because I valued Jack, but I also valued the other six men on the board. Valued everybody, everyone has value. Now in a marriage relationship, if a husband values his wife, and a wife values her husband, marriage is fun. But if a husband said, it's my way or the highway, that's dominance plus pride, or we're going to call it self-focus in a minute. When you have dominance plus self-focus, it's all about me, I'm going to make my own decisions, there's going to be a problem. Now, my father um, and mom were Mennonites in Newton. I was raised in a Mennonite church there. My father made all the decisions for 39 years. My mother never made a decision. I remember when my father came home and said to my mother, I bought you a car today. Do you have your keys for the old car? Mom went and got her keys, handed it to him. And she looked outside and there was a bright green car. My mom didn't like bright colors, but that's a car Dad bought her no discussion she accepted that I married a girl whose mother made all the decisions in her home now we had a problem because my wife thought it was her job to make decisions and I thought it was my job I'm more scriptural because I'm the head of the home right but for eight years we had a conflict until I made a decision eight years into my marriage I'm not going to win, because when I won, my wife would detach from me. If um, she won, I got depressed. Soon, when I got depressed, I I pulled away emotionally, and I stepped on her pain of not being given attention as a child. And so we locked for eight years. The third best decision ever made in 46 years of being married to my wife was when I made a decision, I'm not going to make a decision until I understand her heart. Whether I buy a car, whether we move to a different church, whatever the issues are, I'm not going to change unless I understand her heart. What happened was when I started caring about her heart, she started caring about what I wanted. And all of a sudden marriage becomes fun. Now, you don't have to be smart to control. Because it's just your way you just make your own decisions it's like doing your own thing takes a little bit of humility to sit down and say i'm not going to buy a car unless i understand how you feel as a wife i want your approval i want to know that you are okay with that because when you value another person whether you're sitting on a committee, a board, whether you're in a marriage, what happens is you value the other person and that person is going to respond emotionally to you. Now how does one react to being controlled? uh, Excuse me, I already said that. Here are the pain words associated with control. Coerced, controlled, cornered, dominated, forced, pressured, manipulated are all words here's a prayer Jesus I was hurt by my mom who constantly controlled me causing me to become frustrated angry and withdraw. Jesus could you draw a picture of my heart damaged by her dominance how did I respond to being dominated can you heal my heart can you bring peace to my heart can you make a safe place where I can go if I'm dominated again And hear words, I don't want you to ever feel dominated again. I want you to know that I will never pressure you without understanding your heart. I would like to respect you and understand what you feel and desire to do. Can I care about the pain you feel when others dominate you? Can I humble myself and focus to understand you and your desires? And this is a verse, Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I'm going to say this, when you value another person, you cannot damage them. But if you seek to control them without love, control them with criticism, control them with anger, uh, they are going to be emotionally damaged. And um, that's what we don't want. There's a third pressure pattern. It's called expressive. A number of years ago, a man came into my office and his wife says, My husband always gets angry when my daughter and I talk at the table. And he yells at us and criticizes us for talking, tells us to shut up. And I says, What happened in your childhood? You remember I said 90% of the time what a person's reacting to in their marriage is tied to childhood pain. He said, When I was a child, my father never talked at the table, I never talked at the table. My mom talked nonstop about herself. She never talked with us, she never talked back and forth. She just talked 30 minutes every meal, three meals a day for 20 years. She says, he said, I got so frustrated with my mom talking, I couldn't stand it. So then when I got married, we had this girl, she inherited her mother's expressive, and those two talked. I was left on the outside, just like I was left on the outside in my home and it made me furious. He was emotionally damaged by an expressive mother who didn't talk with him, she just talked. Expressive means to be able to communicate, to express oneself. Being able to talk is not a weakness, it's a strength, but if you mix expressiveness with something else, you damage. You can run over someone who can't express himself. If you talk non-stop, and you're in the presence of someone who doesn't talk or can't talk, uh, that person's going to be frustrated. Or if you're expressive and angry, expressive and dominant, expressive and critical, or expressive and uh, depressed, you're going to emotionally damage another person. What are some words associated with the pain of expressive? When a person's expressive and other people are not expressive, they feel not listened to and their opinions aren't valued. Here's the prayer, and I'm not going to read it, uh, but it's a prayer to resolve that pain. And here are words to resolve the pain of being too expressive. The opposite of expressive is a person who doesn't talk. Um, Mennonites many times have, they're quiet, they're not that expressive and um, when I first took the test that I give out, I was 1% expressive, voted the quietest person in my high school class in Marine Academy in Elbing, Kansas. I was quiet. If you ask me then, John, what's your problem? I would have said, well, I just inherited my mother's personality, she never talked much either. In reality, I didn't know it at the time, but I was experiencing depression, feelings of rejection. And I would stop talking when I felt rejection, but I didn't know it. What's a different definition? A person that has difficulty expressing himself is not able to communicate he's inhibited, unable to speak, unable to articulate their thoughts clearly. Uh, We've had a number of seminars in the Amish communities of Indiana, Ohio and uh, Pennsylvania and the Amish pattern on the test is 1% expressive. 80% of the Amish recounts are 1% expressive and 1% dominant. They're not allowed to make decisions. Decisions are made for them. And emotionally that damages a person because no one asks them, what is your opinion? I'll never forget an Amish man who is very depressed, uh, took a rope to hang himself, but realized his two daughters would find him hanging in the barn, so he couldn't take his life. So they put him in a mental hospital in Goshen, Indiana, and he wouldn't take his medicine. So, two weeks later, he's in my office, face to the ground. I introduced myself. He never looked up. I didn't know what to do. So I started talking about the Amish pattern. And I said, in Amish circles and in some Mennonite circles, a child is never praised because praise leads to pride. That's what Mennonites and Amish believe often. And so a child is never appreciated for what he does. And then I said in Amish circles a father or mother will look with eyes of rejection. And that look will cause a child to feel rejected and that's usually accomplished within the first three years. And so 80% of all the Amish or Mennonites coming into my office are depressed over 80% rejected over 80% and then I talked about the fact that because of what happens in the Amish um, circles young people get rebellious and at 16 they start not wanting to follow the rules and they buy a car and they run away from home and I said 40% of the Amish run away from home 20% feel guilty and they come back as I was talking, and I talked for two hours like that, this man looked up at me for the first time and says, How do you know all this about me? I said, I don't know anything about you. But I'd like to know. And he looked at me and he says, John, I ran away from home when I was 16. And I ran to Chicago. And I raced horses, I worked in racing horses, and I made a lot of money. And I got angry at the English because they, the prostitutes would take my money. And so I went back home and married the bishop's daughter. And my father-in-law rejected me because I drove a pickup. And he got angry with me. And he pulled my wife away and my children away. And he says, for the last 40 years I've never had a friend. No one cares about me. Everybody hates me. Nobody wants me. I said, have you ever felt loved? He says, no. And I saw a 60-year-old man just weep tears. And I turned to him and I said, "Uh, can I be your friend? Can I be the first person to love you? Can I care about your heart? I turned to his wife, and I says, "Um, Would you like to help me? I'd like to see if in 15 hours we can knock off his depression. She obviously didn't believe me. So I said, Look at your husband's eyes. So she turned, she had her head covering. She turned to his eyes and says, What if I cared about a little boy who's never been loved a day in his life? Instead of rejecting you, what if I accepted you? What if I made you feel special? All of a sudden the tears turned to this huge smile, looked like a three-year-old Amish boy. And he got excited. And I noticed she was wanting to jump into his lap, so I says, can I excuse myself? Now Amish women jump faster into their husband's lap than any other culture. Okay? I don't know why, they just do because the more Amish ladies have jumped in their husband's lap Now I have an intern room where I have up to 12 people watching counseling every week and so I stepped out close to my door and she jumped in his lap and she put her arms around him and she says, I just want you to feel loved, I want to care about you I didn't realize you had this problem I went to the intern room and everybody was like this, are we supposed to be looking or not? The only thing that was happening was she was in his lap and looking at his eyes and connecting with him. He lost his depression that day when she jumped into his lap. Because she loved him. And she was the first person to care about his heart. I share that story because here is a man who couldn't talk. And nobility express how he felt inside. Everything was locked up. All of his pain was stuck in his heart and he couldn't get it out. And I'm going to say this, people that can't talk often have pain inside and they don't know what to do with it. They need somebody to care to get that pain out so that they can start enjoying life. And many times people that don't talk are depressed because they're focused on their pain. And nobody knows how to care about them. And most of us as believers pull away from depressed people. Makes it worse because we don't know what to do with them. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about depression. We're going to share five steps that if you use we could knock off 90% of depression in the church. That's tomorrow night. First session. So if you're interested, come back. Now, there are two causes why people can't talk. It's either inherited, if you have both parents or one parent that doesn't talk, you can inherit it. Or secondly, the person stops talking because they had emotional pain. After the break today we're going to talk about sexual abuse. If a girl is sexually abused or a guy, often their grades go to D's within one day and they stop talking, they go to their bedroom, they don't come out. Everything switches. One experience is all it takes. Lock up. What causes a person to stop talking? If someone tries to control a person, um, often they stop talking. Let me use an illustration. I've seen four of these in my counseling practice. Um, Jimmy grows up and he's three years of age, two to three. And as he's trying to learn to talk, he's stumbling around with his words, his sister Julie answers everything for him. So mommy says, Jimmy, do you want a cookie? And Julie says, no, he doesn't want a cookie, he wants a piece of cake. And Julie always answers for him. What happens is he never learns to talk. So I meet Jim when he's 40 years of age. And I ask him a question, he just looks at me. He doesn't know how to talk. Because during that period when he should learn to talk and should be uh, valued and encouraged to talk, someone talked for him. A second is if you reject a person and they get depressed, they'll stop talking. Or if you're critical of a person or judge a person, they'll stop talking. Or if you put too much pressure, expectations, or control, some people stop talking. When other people are totally focused on themselves, a person will stop talking. Verbal, physical, or sexual abuse can cause a person to stop talking or when a person doesn't feel understood, or given the opportunity to express themselves. Here are words that people feel uh, when um, they're damaged and stop talking. And here's the prayer, here's words to encourage them. The fifth pressure pattern is what I'm going to call focus on self. A number of years ago, a film was created called The Titanic. This particular film, the person that wrote the film, interviewed people that survived the Titanic. And after he interviewed everybody, he wrote a script for the Titanic. And maybe you watched the film. I have never seen the film, but I've read excerpts on it. He shows two men shooting each other so they can get on the boat, but that never happened, on the lifeboat, but that never happened. Nobody shot them. Nobody. What actually happened was only five adult men survived the Titanic. The adult men said, they only had a few minutes, let's put our kids and mothers, their mothers, on the boats because our kids have a whole lifetime We've already lived half of our life, so let's go down because we're not going to have room for everybody." So they scurried to get all their kids and all the mothers on the boats, and only five men survived. They were totally selfless. But when the writer of the script was asked, why did you change the script? Why did you show men trying to get on and killing each other to get on so the other person couldn't get on? He said, in the 19th century, People were selfless. In the 20th century, everybody is selfish. And no one would ever come and watch my film if I showed men being kind to their wives, kind to their children, because we don't do that in the 20th century. Now, I'm not suggesting, obviously, he wasn't talking about the Christian community. Not everybody is selfish, but he's talking generally about people that would come to watch the movie. You know what that says? In a hundred years we have changed from being self-focused on other people to being self-focused on ourselves. Focused on ourselves. Now, what happens in a marriage if you have a husband who's totally focused on himself? He doesn't even notice his wife. He doesn't notice her needs. He doesn't notice that she's frustrated. He's only focused on himself. What happens when you have a self-focused wife? She only sees herself what she wants. She doesn't even notice his desires. What happens when you have self-focused parents? They don't notice the needs of their, their children. What happens in a church when you have a board meeting and everybody's focused on themselves and they have to have it their way? I mean, how do you decide what color to paint the church when you got 10 different opinions? creates a problem. But what if all of us were other-focused, cared more about the other person than ourselves, valued someone else's opinion? What happens is relationships become fun when we're other-focused. One lady when asked, how often do you think about your husband and desire to do it the way he would like? She says, I have never in 20 years of marriage ever thought about my husband. I never asked his opinion. I wasn't interested in him. It was all about me. Now, if a person is self-focused, what happens is they're going to damage relationship. A person who is self-focused is self-centered, arrogant, wrapped up in themselves. What are the characteristics of a self-focused person? They only see themselves. They don't notice their spouse or others. Uh, They think about themselves. They don't consider others. Their decisions are focused on their desires Self-focus affects our speech We just talk about ourselves our attitudes Our decisions our priorities our ministry our relationships are all affected by whether we're self-focused or other focused I have an opportunity to train about 200 counselors a year. And one time we had a conference and someone came out of a counseling session for three hours and the person says, the counselor talked about himself for three hours. How would you like to be counseled by a person who talks about himself for three hours? And I say in my training, no, it's not about you as a counselor. Can you care about another individual? It's about them. Can you focus on understanding them? It's not about you. You're not going to be a counselor if you're self-focused. You can only be a counselor if you're focused on caring about another person. Obviously, caring for the heart is caring for someone else, not for yourself. There are three reasons why people are self-focused. One is one or both parents are self-focused. If you had a daddy who was self-focused, it's easy for the son or daughter to become self-focused. Circumstances in life can cause you to become self-focused, or you can be self-focused because of severe pain that you've experienced where you only think about yourself. There are two types of self-focus. There's what I call obvious pride, and secondly, there's hidden pride. Obvious pride is when a person says, I'm the best teacher that Kansas has ever seen. That's obvious pride. person is talking about themselves. Hidden pride is a person who is so focused on their pain, they don't notice anybody else. I've been teaching in the state of Kansas for 25 years and no one has ever appreciated anything I've done in my sacrifice in my classroom. That's hidden pride. Now, If you were to go back to the churches I pastored and said, uh, who's John Regeer? People would probably say, John Regeer is probably the humblest pastor we had. I didn't have obvious pride. My mother made sure that wasn't there. But I had hidden pride because I had a depression problem and when I felt rejected, felt hurt inside, I started focusing on my pain. And when I focused on my pain, I couldn't love my wife, I couldn't focus on my children, I couldn't focus on anyone else because I was too focused on my pain. That's hidden pride. Now some people have obvious pride and hidden pride. Um, That's a double whammy, obviously, because not only do they want everybody to notice them, but secondly, they have pain that they're trying to cover as well. Now, what are some pain words associated with self-focus? Disregarded, unnoticed is the pain that someone else would share if they're around a self-focused person. Here's the prayer, words to encourage. The final two pressure patterns I'm going to combine is anger, critical, judgmental. So it's anger and criticism. Obviously, uh, we understand why this could damage a person. It's making comments that disapprove, to condemn, cutting, biting words. How is a person damaged by critical words? When a person is criticized, they feel rejected. They often turn anger in, get depressed, get anxious, withdraw, stop talking, pull their hearts away. Sometimes they disassociate. What happens when a person is criticized is their heart closes in and they're damaged. Here are the words and the pain words, accused, all my fault, belittled, blamed, condemned, failure, hated, not good enough, put down, ridiculed, stepped on, are words that people would identify. And here's the prayer and the words to encourage. I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever been damaged Emotionally by any of these seven pressure patterns I just want you to look down your list just want you to think have I have a perfectionist parent or spouse controlling expressive one who doesn't talk self-focused angry critical have I been damaged by any of these second question is How did I respond to that? You might say, Well, my father was critical and I emotionally detached from it so I wouldn't feel the pain. Okay? Or you might say, I have a husband who emotionally uh, doesn't talk and when he doesn't talk I go crazy inside. Or you might say, I had a perfectionist mother who had to have it all right and when she pressured me I mentally just fogged up, checked out. The last time we were in this area for a seminar a lady was sitting in this session and she was a homeschool mother and she had a daughter that she was trying to pressure to get her work done because she wanted her daughter to graduate and to get good grades. She was pressuring her daughter. When I shared this she realized that she was pressuring her daughter with expectations, and the daughter was disassociating. And I encouraged people not to pressure their children, but if you homeschool or you're helping your children, just to care about them. So the next morning, she took her daughter in her arms and she says, I just want you to know I care about you. We're not going to do school today. I just want you to feel loved by me. I'm your mom, and I care about you. She wrote an email to Nevin and Nisley, and Nevin passed it on to me. And in the email she says, my daughter did 10 times more schoolwork that day than she had done for months. And they weren't supposed to do school. She just loved her daughter. And her daughter got so excited, she went and did her schoolwork anyway. Love is a greater motivator than pressure. And when you love, people respond. When you attack, people emotionally lock up. So I'd like to encourage you, have you ever been damaged? How have you responded to that damage? Secondly, has your spouse been damaged? If your spouse has been damaged, would you be willing to care about that? Let's say that you have a husband who is dominated by his mother and he just can't stand women who dominate. And he's reacted to every woman that dominates in the church because of that. That husband needs someone to care about that pain. Third, have we damaged our spouse? Have we done some of this? Now it's getting a little closer to home. Have we damaged our children? Have we damaged other people? see when you go to your child and say I wonder if I've damaged you by Will you forgive me now, I don't want parents to ask forgiveness every day and never change I have parents that are angry and critical of their children every day they criticize them they're angry and they say I'm sorry I shouldn't be doing that next day I'm sorry I shouldn't be doing that I'm sorry I shouldn't be doing that don't do that your kids just give up if you just keep apologizing and you never change no you say I was wrong in doing that. I don't want to criticize you, I want to care about you. That's a way to resolve that. Now what if you combine pressure patterns? If you have these four, you're going to create this kind of problem in your spouse or in your children. They have to obviously have a certain personality. Usually it's a high sympathy child that's going to react with this. If you add to these four pride and hypocrisy, pride is all, I'm about myself. Hypocrisy, I don't have a problem, but you have a problem, is my son, the child will run away. And over the last 10 years, every time a parent says, my child ran away, I ask him a question do you have these six qualities between mom and dad? Sometimes mom has three of them and dad has three of them. Sometimes mom has two and dad has four. Sometimes mom has all of them. And I show them this list. And I say the only reason a child will run away from home is if a parent has these, one or more parents has these six qualities. I was in... Um, Pennsylvania for a seminar and a man came up at a training seminar and he says my son just ran away from home can you tell me why and I said well I'm going to deal with it in this session I'm going to list six things after the session you come to me and tell me do you have those six qualities or your, does your wife have them at the end of the session he came to me and he says I have them all I know what my problem is and I know why my son ran away and I'm going home to fix it Now, children don't run away from home just because it's more fun to sleep in a car in Denver, Colorado than being at home. No, they get free lodging at home. They get all their meals at home. The only reason people leave home is because the pain is too much and they can't cope with it. That's why they run away from home. And the sad thing is, many times young people are accepted in the drug world but not accepted at home. They're accepted somewhere else but not accepted by us as parents, and I want to encourage you as parents, open your hearts to love your children. You cannot damage your children if you love. Now if you look at this sheet, I'd like to just summarize it for just a minute. Being self-disciplined, number one, is not a problem if you love. Being dominant is not a problem if you love. You can be a dominant person and value other people you're not going to hurt them. Being expressive is not going to hurt a person as long as you care about other people. Um, Focusing on self is going to damage. Anger is going to damage. Critical is going to damage. When you start combining these then you start hurting other people. Because if you're a perfectionist and dominant that's a double pressure. If you're angry that's a triple pressure. And if you feel hurt, if they don't do it your way, that's another pressure that emotionally causes them to totally shut down. What I'd like to encourage you to do is understand these pressure patterns and ask God, would you show me how to love, how to care, and how to be focused on other people to care about them. Um, I'm going to close this session with this challenge. I don't know how to say this, to be honest with you, because when I talk heart, I don't know how to explain it. But if you turn to your wife tonight and say, what if I was just about you? And I cared about your heart? What would you do with me? What if I didn't control decisions, but I cared more about you than me? What if instead of being critical, I valued you. You know what's going to happen if you start saying things like that? When you reverse these things, all of a sudden your wife's going to say, Man, I could live with you now. It would be fun. I might even give you my heart. Maybe you as a wife are doing some of these things to your children or to your husband. You say, you know, I was wrong at pressuring you. Can you forgive me for that? I know I got my dominance from my dad, I don't want to dominate you anymore, what if I just cared and we made decisions together rather than me making decisions for you? And even doing this with children, as your children grow up, obviously when they're three years of age you have to make decisions for them, but when they get to sixteen, what if I valued you and we made decisions together? Your young people are going to say, man, that sounds neat. That my dad and mom would value me. Want to know how I feel. What happens is life becomes a lot more fun when you drop into your heart and you love and care rather than pressure with these pressure patterns. I'll turn it back to Pastor.
0: Um. That's all I can say is, wow, thank you, John. Um, there's a lot for us to take in. One of the things that I love about John is just his humility and his love for people. And I don't know I, how many times I wrote down, you can't damage if you love. And what a, what a powerful thing to just plant in their heart if we can walk away with that. Um, when John comes to a church and he brings his counselors and his crew, they don't, they don't ask for any money up front. And they just go by love offerings by love donations, and so um, we just pray, and we have been praying, and we 've been asking that the Holy Spirit would lay it upon uh, your heart to give as you as the Holy Spirit is leading you to give, and so at this time we 're going to take a love offering for john i 'm going to pray for that, and uh, so uh, we 'll do that let's do that now, dearly Father, we just want to thank you so much, just for all of the information that that we have heard the wisdom and knowledge that we have received through Your Holy Spirit. Uh, We pray, Lord, as we continue in these sessions, as we continue in these evenings, that just as the Holy Spirit speaks through John, the Holy Spirit would help us to listen, would help us just to absorb everything that we need to just plant in our heart so that it stays there and we can meditate on it, we can recall it, we can depend upon it to lead us and direct us in the way that we are to go for your glory and for your honor we pray lord that as we uh, take this time uh, to give uh, to john and the counselors we just pray that your holy spirit would guide us and lead us in our giving we see in the scriptures that the lord loves a joyful giver and so we pray as we do that lord that you would just bless those who are able to give but we also ask that you would bless those who want to give but do not have the means uh, that you and you alone will be glorified through this offering. And we just pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: To everyone who's lost someone they love Long before it was their time You feel like the days you had were not and You just cry out to Jesus. Cry to Jesus. To the widow who suffers from being alone. Wiping the tears from her eyes. For the children around the world without a home, say a prayer. There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, and love for the broken. There is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. You meet you wherever you are. There is hope for the helpless. Mercy and healing can meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus.
0: time we're going to take a break and uh, we will resume with the next session of this evening at 8 10 so be back at 8 10 and we'll go thank you